And I think the biggest um, mm, sort of awareness or awakening that I began to have, which I still write about, is this gap between what was going on in my brain, what I was hearing, what I was thinking, what I was feeling, and how I was showing up externally. Mm-hmm. Because my belief was that if I said what I actually felt, what I actually believed, what I really wanted to say, that all hell would break loose. Becoming you beyond deconstruction, because deconstruction isn't the end goal. Living a vibrant, soul aligned life is. Right, so welcome back to another episode of Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. Today I'm doing something new. It's been a while since I've had a um, podcast guest, but I thought it's coming to the end of the year and I feel like having some other people to talk to. (laughs) So um, my first guest is somebody that I've met on the Substack platform and I've been um, a subscriber for her stack for, for a while now. Um, I'd like to say hello to Ronna Dietrich. Hi, Florence. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Right. So I guess I need to like say a little bit about you now so that people know why I've <laughs> invited you on. <laughs> so Ronna has a um, Substack that I that I mentioned. Can you just remind me of the name? Sorry, <laughs> I should have. That's okay. It's called Rewriting with Ronna Dietrich. Rewriting. Yes, that's it. Rewriting. And um, one of the things that really attracted me to to Ronna's site or stack is the fact that she is deconstructing or has come from a place of deconstructing her faith. And her focus is really on womanhood and how womanhood and the experience of being a woman has been shaped by patriarchy and, um, and how that is also linked to faith as well. So I know um, I've said a lot, so I'm just going to ask Ronna to introduce herself in her own way. Mm, Thank you. Well, you're right. I've been uh, deconstructing for a very long time. I grew up in the church and then left it uh, along with my marriage to a pastor uh, 20 years ago. And from that point forward, and even before, uh, I have been asking a lot of questions and reconsidering a lot of the things that I just assumed to be infallible and true. Uh, and in that process, have really discovered and worked to reinforce an understanding of my value and worth apart from some external entity that defines it, Uh, which is, of course, much of what happens in the context of organized religion is that our worth and our value are determined by the relationship that we have with the divine, as opposed to who we inherently are. Mm -hmm. And that's taken a lot of work to, to unravel all of that. Um, and to really step into increasingly, I think it's a life's journey, mm-hmm. increasingly step into a place of sovereignty and strength and self-belief and self-worth and all of the things that are really hard to grasp or even hold on to in the context of religion, at least the version that I grew up with. Yeah. So now, and for many years, I've, for many years, I've been writing about all of this, um, and uh, I coach and I do spiritual direction for women who are walking through similar processes um, and feel really grateful to be on this side of it, so to speak, many years removed from the angst and the, the, the excruciating process of trying to separate and establish identity. Um, and as I said, on it goes. It's a lifetime's journey for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've said so much there. And um, I think one of the things that 
stands out to me and which I can see so often in the stories of other people deconstructing is just the sheer amount of courage that it takes to do this work. I mean, you left 20 years of, I guess, faith and indoctrination, but you also left um, marriage to a pastor. And it's and I would imagine that that's not so easy to walk away from um, in comparison to maybe just being <laughs> married to somebody who is a religious man. Can you talk a little bit about... Um, that experience mm. if you're open to it and, and the role of courage in that. Sure. Yeah. Well, it took me a very long time. Uh, we were married for 15 years and, you know, overarchingly, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like he's a lovely human being and we had more good than not. Um, as I continued to develop and evolve as a woman uh, and as I stepped into therapy and I was in seminary, there were just lots of things that were shifting my view of myself. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest um, mm, sort of awareness or awakening that I began to have, which I still write about, is this gap between what was going on in my brain, what I was hearing, what I was thinking, what I was feeling and how I was showing up externally. Mm -hmm. Because my belief was that if I said what I actually felt, what I actually believed, what I really wanted to say in the context of our relationship, that all hell would break loose, that he wouldn't be able to handle it, that I would be too much, that the whole world would come crashing down. And so I didn't say those things. And so I take a significant amount of responsibility for my own inability to show up fully as myself because it felt too risky. It felt like there was gonna be way too much consequence. Mm. So it took me a long time to recognize this disparity between these two voices, basically. And as I started to bring them together, bit by bit, tiniest steps, mm. um, I wouldn't say that all hell broke loose, but it, it entered into the midst for sure. Things got harder and harder and harder uh, until it was at the place where I finally said that I was done. Now, did that take, it took me probably five years to recognize what was going on, to extend the effort that I felt was my responsibility to extend. And I can continue to hope that things would change for sure. And to your point around being married to a pastor, um, yes, uh, I don't know that it was the pastor as much as it was my understanding of covenant and what it meant to be in a committed relationship through the lens of Christianity. Uh, it was really hard and took a long time for me to begin to understand that maybe uh, the divine uh, was committed to and loved me, not just me as his wife, <laughs> that maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I divorced. Uh, but I held on to the belief for so long that surely God would want the marriage to survive. That would be God's desire on my behalf, on our behalf. And so it was really hard for me to kind of peel that back and feel like I had permission to do what was best for me and what I felt was best for my daughters. Um, and yes, it took courage, but I would say that um, it wasn't like one huge burst of courage. It mm -hmm. was a long, slow drip of, of trying to develop or display more of it over time. Mm -hmm. Because by the time I finally got to the decision, it felt easy. Uh, no, I yeah. mean, none of it was easy. It was all messy and hard. It was all of that. But for the most part, um, that that decision was was simple by then. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that does make um, so much sense. 
Uh, and as you mentioned, it's absolutely a journey. And I can, I can see how just taking those little steps at each time when you're confronted maybe with a situation or a decision um, and the, the follow-on or, or the, the, the consequence of that, how that might have had an impact on, on you, on your life, on your family, and just learning how to deal with that, then feeling brave enough to take the next step. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think for me as a woman, I mean, this would be true for any human, I'm sure. But I think for me, every one of those steps reinforced a sense of, oh, oh, here I am. Oh, this is me aligned. This is me acting in integrity. This is me being a whole person instead of a divided person, mm -hmm. which didn't make it easier. But I continue to feel stronger more genuine, more in alignment. And so even though things were really messy, my path was clear. I became clearer and clearer on who I was and how I wanted to be. And um, it, that made all the difference. I love that so much. It's like, uh, it's kind of feeling disembodied, isn't it? Really? It's like, okay, so you know that mm -hmm. there's this version of you that you're living and you're projecting and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel true. And whilst you're living that person, you're constantly in communication with this other version inside of yourself. And that can feel so, so the weight of that can feel so draining and it takes so much. And then finally, when you do mm -hmm. give yourself permission to let that part of you show and then, yeah, there are consequences, but they're livable. You survived. And in a way, it feels like, OK, so yes. the risk decreases I guess the more you do it mm -hmm. or it's a different kind of risk mm. yeah it's a different kind of risk I think the way I think about it now is that yeah it's risky to leave the church to leave a relationship to leave it up to set aside things that no longer fit for us in one way or another it's riskier not to the cost to any of us women especially when we sublimate our integrity our desires our authenticity our honest self costs so much more than what mm. we're trying to protect and sustain mm. but when you're in the mix of it that gamble feels really risky yeah and you know that's so interesting the last post i wrote was on um on fear on befriending fear and I think you know I think part of what keeps women stuck in situations that are not serving them is because we are conditioned to feel a particular way towards fear and I know definitely within within Christianity mm -hmm. and the more evangelical it is and when I think when I talk about evangelical Christianity I'm not necessarily just talking about the de denomination of evangelical Christianity, but any kind of Christianity, which is like, you know, very, this is the way that you must do it. And this is the way that you must be and very, very preachy um, and dogmatic about it. I feel I, I kind of put that under the, the umbrella of um, evangelical Christianity. But I think any version or any denomination where you come from, which makes you feel like you, you can't do something and then in, in and in doing that punishes you for questioning or feeling fear that in itself is an obstacle a huge obstacle to overcome because not only are you feeling your feelings but you're being judged and punished for feeling those feelings and, and expressing those feelings and because i feel mm. women are often sacrificial lambs in those situations we are more prone to feeling those feelings and having those experiences and judging ourselves negatively and not being able to to talk about it because of the fear of what that will mean when we do does that make sense all of, yes all of which is patriarchy yeah so yes we experience all of that in the context of religion to be sure 
not everyone does, but we certainly can. Mm -hmm. That is a possibility in the context of religion. And it's our experience, lived experience outside the context of religion as women mm -hmm. because of patriarchy. Um, it is a system, uh, a, uh, it's in the water, it's in our DNA, it's the air that we breathe that continues to keep us in a place of questioning, of doubt, of fear, of, of being um, relatively certain that we're either too much or we're not enough and constantly stuck in that place. Um, and the whole system is designed to keep us asking those questions. Am I enough? Am I enough? Am I enough? And what do I need to do so that I am in order to please something, someone outside of me? Or am I too much? Should I be smaller? Should I be quieter? Should I stay silent? I, I should probably feel shame. Like we're constantly torn in one of those two places, mm. which is not the complete description of patriarchy, but it certainly is what it feels like mm. when, when we begin to recognize the insipid overwhelmingness of it. Yeah. One of the things that you you touched upon was this idea of um, how the concept of covenant kept you stuck mm. in mm -hmm. marriage. There was so much going on there around, okay, what what does God want for me? What does this external entity mm -hmm. want for me? What am I supposed to believe? Am I supposed to sacrifice myself to mm -hmm. this thing called covenant? And I just and I thought that was so interesting do you mind talking a little bit about that and then maybe um we can begin to make links somewhere else sure sure yeah i mean in in the context of you know having grown up in the church and living you know way more of my life in it than out um at that point and still in terms of just the percentages um it's these truths, so to speak, these beliefs, these um, doctrines become part and parcel with how we understand ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we understand, you know, within the context of Christianity, marriage is seen as a covenant, not just between the two of you, but between God and the two of you. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's replicated in the story story of Abraham and Isaac. It's repli replicated in so many stories of covenant, God's promise on behalf of God's people, the promise that the people would make. And so this is, again, this isn't the kind of thing that we sit down and we intellectually say, yes, I'm making a covenant. Okay. <laughs> that's what that means. It's just in us. We just, yeah. we just know it. Um, and I think for me, the the shift, and I wouldn't have been able to see this at the time, but as I look back, I think so much of my understanding has changed from a covenant that I've made with God or that God has made with me or us to an understanding of what it means to be in covenant with myself. Mm. Like, what does a promise to me look like? What if my deepest covenant must be to myself, to my own soul, to my understanding of who I am as a human on the planet. If I can shift my understanding in that direction, that changes everything. Because again, it moves me to within as opposed to the parts of me that are attached to something outside of me, whether that's a spouse or it's a God or it's a system of doctrine and theology. I, I, those start to feel like they're stretching and pulling and breaking me into a multitude of pieces. But when I can turn within and understand this source of wisdom, intuition, the divine soul that exists within me and honor that, then that becomes the predominant covenant. That becomes the promise that must be kept and anything or anyone that causes me to start to break that one, uh, yeah, we're done here. Like that's not going to work for me because I have right my responsibility and my choice and the invitation is to stay committed to myself, which I think is the most 
most holy and divine thing we could possibly do. Absolutely. Um, for me, I feel like the only way that we can be God to be divine is to be ourselves. I mean, anything else is just, if we believe in the concept of a God, I think anything else is just making a mockery of, of the whole idea. If we're trying to be anything other than who we are, then how can we say that we believe in a God? To me, that doesn't make sense. That sounds illogical to me. But if we're just going back to this idea of being in covenant to ourselves, that the, the deepest and truest promise that we can make is to be true to ourselves. How do you see this showing up in society or how do you feel that society prevents us from doing this? There are so many ways. I mean, I think again, to 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 pan back and recognize the larger system of which we're a part, which is patriarchal, which is has been built for centuries on the understanding that men are chief and have the most authority and the most power. And then underneath them, depending on the culture that you live in, determines where you fall in terms of value. You know, objectively, we can listen to this and go, that's crazy talk. Like, that's not, that's not true. And we know it's not true, but it still is the system in which we live. Um, so from the perspective of us being true to ourselves, us fully being ourselves, well, that's fine until it bumps up against some form of authority or power that doesn't like it. And then we feel the pain of that. And that is patriarchy. Mm. I think we can look at it, again, systemically high altitude. But then let's just look at social media. <laughs> Though there are lovely people to follow on social media, I mean, obviously, there, we're all, you know, there's so many of us on there. In general, overarchingly, the messages that we are constantly bombarded by and with are buy more, be better. You can make more money. You can be more powerful. You can be prettier. You can be thinner. You, you, and if you're not, what's wrong with you? Like, mm -hmm. look at me, look how awesome I am. If you just <laughs> pay me this much, you too can be like this, right? It's capitalism and all over the place. So again, though intellectually, objectively, when women hear this, they're like, well, I don't, I don't think about that. That's, I don't like that. That's ridiculous. But we're still immersed in that messaging constantly, mm. constantly. Again, telling us you're too much or you're not enough. Let's look at the work environment. I mean, again, if I pull way back, I can see that there are more men in power than there are women, that there's disparity in pay, that the salary ranges are radically different still for men over women. In the United States, I can look at the Supreme Court and see how many women are on the Supreme Court compared to men, senators, the president, whatever. We can look at example after example. But when it gets right down to it in terms of my experience in the workplace as a woman, I am constantly uh, negotiating internally. Can I speak up? Should I not? Is this the time for me to exert my opinion or shouldn't I? Is this going to be disruptive or seen inappropriately? Or is this going to be seen as something innovative and creative? Which is it? Like it's this constant uh. chatter that circles around inside of us. Uh. Again, relationally, societally, at work, it's everywhere. And the, all of that keeps us exhausted in the first place because it's just so much work that's going on all the time. But it also keeps us in our place. We don't. Yes, yes it does. You know, because we're so exhausted from trying to think it all through. What's the right choice? How should I show up here? What should I do? And, you know, I think there are many, many women who who 
I don't want to say this in a derogatory way. Let me, how do I want to say this? Um, it takes a lot for us to become conscious of that. Mm. We, c- we can just exist in it because again, it's the water in which we swim. It's the mm. air that we breathe. And so we don't necessarily critique it. We don't necessarily think about it and say, uh, hey, this is messed up. Hey, I shouldn't have to be like doing all this internal work in order to decide whether to talk at a meeting uh, or decide whether I want to tell the truth in my marriage or like, uh, like that feels off. But because it's the world we live in, we don't, if we're not conscious of it, if we're not awake to it, we're just, we just go with it uh, and are profoundly influenced by it. Once you see it, in many ways, that's easier. I mean, let's just be honest. In any, many ways, that's easier. And, you know, sometimes we may wake up, we may see something, but maybe it hasn't yet reached a tipping point where we're willing to, you know, stay awake. You know, we close our eyes and we go back. It's the matrix. I mean, if you're into that um, analogy, it is it is the matrix situation. And I think that's why I spoke about yes. earlier on. <laughs> yeah. Because it is courageous to choose yourself is absolutely the most courageous thing that you can do. Um, And yeah, this podcast episode isn't about me. So I'm just going to continue listening to your wisdom because there's so much of it. (laughs) Um, I guess what I want to know, a question that has been going around my mind is the concept of patriarchy. And you've already kind of clarified it for me because I've been thinking, okay, so what is patriarchy? And and this is something that so many um, women, quote unquote, influencers talk about. I really hate that word, but I can't think of um, enough words for it. But um, (laughs) it's very popular term. And I'm kind of contrary I I kind of shy away from any thing that you know people seem to be gravitating towards but I do see this patriarchy this patriarchal system I obviously I've I've been influenced it even um you know uh, from from my home culture I'm Nigerian I've been influenced by it um and uh you know my background is Christianity and I can see that now, I can very much see it then, I couldn't see it. But I've been in the workplace and, and, and I've seen it. I've seen it as, you know, um, uh, a mother when I first had my child and, you know, I tried to be a mum and I saw how that was incompatible in the workplace. I saw how society just isn't... Um, set up to support womanhood so i've asked myself what is patriarchy and you've you've mentioned so many beautiful illustrations you've you've spoken about it systemically you've spoken about it relationally you've spoken about it um as something that is in the air that we breathe we swim in the water of it and something that exists within us we are immersed in it but what is patriarchy because prior to i guess this i've uh, and and to hear other people speak about it i've always felt okay so maybe because the voices and this is another thing as well the the voices that speak about it tend to be women it tends to be white women it tends to be white american women who tend to be the most vocal about patriarchy and obviously there's a particular experience that they're having there um but I wanted to really know, okay, so are these the only people experiencing it? Obviously not. Why aren't other people talking about it? So what is, when we get down to the nitty and gritty of it, what is patriarchy? Is it a spirit? <laughs> is it just this spiritual entity causing havoc wherever we go? What are your thoughts on this? And so, no, I, I mean, I guess it would have an energy to itself, but I see it as just a historical phenomena, a cultural overlay that present for a, for a relatively long period of time, not in the history of all of humanity, but certainly, um, you know, 
in enough time that it has shaped our politics and our social systems and our inner lives. And, and it's just as impactful on men as it is on women. Mm. Um, the, I mean, I think, you know, for patriarchy to dissolve or to, for something new to take its place It'll, it, I think in large, not in large part, but in part, it will be men's ability to understand the harm of patriarchy, mm. which this is me being ridiculously jaded, but why would they want to do that? <laughs> I mean, it's not patriarchy because it, 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 it's, it helps them. It allows them to live in the norm, right? They're the normative experience. A, ma a man's experience shapes politics, medical care, benefits, money, relationships, power, control, like everything's in your favor Cis culturally. Uh, wh why would you want to disrupt that? Though I certainly have had conversations with and read men who can recognize more deeply how harmful that is to the culture as a whole and even to them. Mm -hmm. um, so, again, you know, I'm not happy about it, but it doesn't do me a whole lot of good to to argue with its presence because mm -hmm. it's been here for a very long time. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. conversation from my perspective is, can we name it? Can mm -hmm. we see it for what it is? Unravel the impact that that has made, not to undo it, but to recognize it. Like I have to be able to name in my own story, like how has the church impacted me? How has patriarchy been a part of that? How has that shaped my understanding of myself and mm -hmm. the world around me? okay, I don't like those things. They're still true in terms mm -hmm. of how I've experienced them. And I just think psychologically, mm -hmm. in terms of our own maturity, like we have to start by naming mm -hmm. what has been true and is true before we can hope to step into anything any different. Uh, before we can begin to create a, a way of understanding ourselves and being in the world that is any different to just hope we can jump to something new without acknowledging the harm and the presence and the reality of it all is uh, imaginal. It's a fantasy. Mm. Um, mm. So I spend a lot of time, I mean, in my, in my writing and in my work with clients, like, I mean, you're using the word deconstruction. I think that's just as true in our personal lives as it is in our spiritual lives. Like, can I deconstruct? Can I look objectively at the stories that have shaped me, at the experiences that have created and informed and influenced how I understand who I am in the world? Mm -hmm. And some of those are really painful to have to acknowledge once I can see those stories and understand the way that they've impacted me, now I can begin to make different choices because mm. now I can say, okay, I get why I did X, Y, and Z, but I don't have to live in that story anymore. I can choose a different one. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I'm talking to you enough about, about patriarchy necessarily, but it's, they're all hooked together. It's all no, yeah. part of the same tangle. Yeah. No, I do. I, I do hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I mean, um, patriarchy is huge. It is, you know, the culmination of, of, of living life on this planet where I guess in order to survive, I see, I, I see it that way. People have created a system where the, those who are physically stronger also, it seems, um, are, are able to, I guess, get ahead and protect, um, get the resources and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, there has been an impact. There has been a huge impact on that and um, around that. And you're right. M many a time, many, many a time, we can go through life without even being aware of it, without even acknowledging it. And so 
being aware of it and acknowledging it are huge, are huge, huge, huge. And absolutely stemming from that is the ability to, to reflect on that and say, okay, am I going to close my eyes again? Or am I going to, am I going to choose? Am I going to um, think about, you know, whether I want to continue on like this or, or not? And you mentioned about writing stories and our, and our own stories and mm -hmm. maybe that's a bit why you you named your substack rewriting and the name of your book um is rewriting eve and i'd love for you to tell me a little bit more about this and and how you think it fits into what we've spoken about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you yeah so in the process of me leaving leaving the church, leaving religion, leaving behind the doctrine and the dogma, leaving the marriage in the, in the midst of all of that. Um, I just had this sense that I, I couldn't leave the women behind. Mm -hmm. There are all these stories of women in scripture that have, mm, that it just felt to me like they, they needed to be honored regardless of how they've been manipulated and maligned and how their the way their stories have been told have harmed us like i just kept thinking they deserve to be heard they deserve to be seen and honored outside of the constructs that have kept them silenced and shamed like us so eve was one of the first stories that i started playing with in this regard um i began to imagine the story through her perspective. What have we missed only hearing this story told through a male perspective over the centuries? Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the story itself and the way it's been told, which I'll just tell you is they're miles and miles from each other. Um, if I start to unravel all of the um, all of the messages that have come out of that single story. I mean, I can go to a whole bunch of them, but let's just look at Eve's. In my opinion, the way her story has been told has, in many ways, shaped and created patriarchy in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that when women trust themselves, when women trust their wisdom, when women make their own choices disaster befalls. Um, that's the story, right? Like if Eve hadn't done what she wanted to do, if she hadn't followed her own desire, we wouldn't have been kicked out of Eden. And we wouldn't live in the hell that we live in. And the world would be a perfect place. And, you know, again, the story doesn't tell us any of that. These are the projections that we've created from the story. Mm. And so when I go back and look at it closely, what I see is a woman who is incredibly wise, who trusts herself, none of which is shamed in the story itself. Eve is not cursed. It's only the serpent that is cursed. Adam and Eve live with the consequences of making a risky choice, which is what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. They step into a world that is new and dangerous and is the big, you know, it, it like, these are our stories. This is what we do when we make choices, when we follow our own heart, what happens? A whole, whole new world opens up for us that feels perilous, that feels frightening, that feels risky. But, you know, we often are told that, I mean, we, the whole doctrine of the fall is hooked to the story of Eve, that we were separated from the divine because of her selfish choice. And I look at the story and I say, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Outside of the garden is where the, the divine shows up, is present, speaks, is intimately involved in the lives of the people, not in the garden. All this begins outside of the garden. So... I could go on and on about Eve's story, but my point in that is that what I began to 
try to do in my own writing and in my life, frankly, was, was untangle all the negative messages, again, acknowledge how those have impacted me, how those have impacted our society, how those have impacted religion, and then wonder, well, okay, if one woman's story has had this much power, Oh, wow. I mean, mm. shaped a whole world, mm. really. The way that story's been told has shaped, at least the Western world, has radically shaped the Western world's perception of women mm. in our bones. It's in, it's in us. Even if we never grew up in the church, Eve's story is deeply present mm. in, in how we perceive ourselves and how we are seen. Well, I started thinking, okay, that's how powerful one woman's story is right there. So if we retold it, if we rewrote it, if we began to understand it completely differently, it could have exactly the same amount of power yet again. Mm -hmm. So I then have over time taken, I mean, I've worked with 50 plus of these stories over the years. In my book, I've taken 10 stories of women from scripture told the story as it's written, and then pulled off all of the doctrine and dogma, tried to peel that back and name the places in which the tellings have painfully influenced us individually, as women, certainly culturally. And then I try to put it back together in a way that invites power and sovereignty and beauty and wisdom and strength and courage uh, and I think every single one of those women offer that to us. Um, I feel like they are a form of ancestors, of matrilineage, of legacy that we've missed. And so in the book and in my day-to-day -day speak talking, I, I don't think these stories have anything have to have anything to do with religion. I think these are stories of women that deserve to be known and heard and honored and seen because without them, we flounder. We don't have anything to grip onto. We don't have stories that we can look to that call us to, to strength and sovereignty and courage and beauty and wisdom. Their stories offer us that in spades. So that, that's my, <laughs> my preaching, but that's what the book is, is me taking 10 of these stories, rewriting them, um, reimagining them, telling my own story in the midst in an effort to honor them to be mm -hmm. sure, but perhaps even more to say your story is that powerful. Your story is that amazing and wise and gorgeous and incredible and you're not alone. Like these women come with you and, and offer you all that they have so that you can live in similar ways. I love that. I love that. That does sound extremely powerful. And um, one of the things that, you know, gave me goosebumps as you were talking was this, was the whole Eve story and the idea that um, actually real life started outside of the garden you know we can you know maybe again going back to the matrix analogy for me that's what came up you know we were we were the garden is like um living in a in, in a dream living in an unreal life where you know we don't have to we don't have to somebody tells us what to do and we do it and we're safe or we can we consider ourselves safe mm -hmm. and then this woman, Eve, does something crazy. She thinks for herself. Mm -hmm. She makes her own choice. She questions. Mm -hmm. And that opens the door mm -hmm. to real life and everything that comes with it. The the multi exactly. the multi-textual, the multifaceted, multicolorful, all the multis that we can think of, richness of life away <laughs> from the other side. I think that's just really really beautiful exactly. and i think to um to end i just want to talk about one of your posts that has stayed with me quite a bit i don't mm. know if you remember it it's the one that you shared about desire as prayer do you remember that post mm. mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. that has definitely stayed with me and just to kind of quickly recap because even though i'll put a link to it um 
it's this idea of you know when when we pray we've often prayed desperately to something outside of us to answer um our despair and it's 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 often been a uh, it's always been maybe like a, an even kind of like a begging prayer you know just please help me i really need you that kind of putting ourselves in that position and i love the idea of prayer as desire because it came from a place of of owning what it was that we really wanted you know and stating that out loud and knowing that there was power behind that and that that could activate that could do something i don't know what it might do in the universe but it does something and we don't have to come from a place of of submissiveness submissiveness or subservience we can come from a place of owning what it is that we truly want and desire and that just stayed with me and when i first read it i was like dare i do that you know that was like what dare i <laughs> make prayer a statement of my desire rather than a statement of please help me i'm, I'm lost and i need you because it's such a powerful difference mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it takes me right back to Eve, of course, because Eve's story is really where we've come up with this idea that our desire is wrong, bad to be sublimated, shut mm-hmm. down, because when you desire and take the fruit, look what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And this is why it's so harmful. It's why it's, you know, we believe this, we really think this. And so I think for me, in the context of prayer, you know, even the word itself conjures, it pulls me back into that whole world of organized religion that I have worked so hard to separate myself from. And so this idea of praying to or praying for, again, removes me from myself Mm. if I follow the template that I was raised in. Mm. When I get at what I most deeply long for what I most deeply desire, which isn't a parking spot. Isn't, you know, that that's not what I'm talking about in terms of like little things. It's like at core, what do I know that I know that I know within? What does my soul deeply long for, deserve, understand that it must pull toward, aspire toward, et cetera, Mm. for myself as well as on behalf of others. If I can articulate that period, the end, if I can say what I most deeply desire is to feel free, what I most deeply desire is to know that I'm worthy. What I most deeply desire is to believe that I'm enough uh, I can keep going. Just uttering that, just allowing that to be true could potentially just be prayer. I don't have to have a place that it goes, a person that it's given to, uh, an amen at the end. I don't, there's no, no template. I don't have to do it the right way. It's just this constant turning within and asking, what do I want? Why? If I had that, then what would I want? If I had that, then what would I want? Like I have to keep dropping underneath lower and lower to go, oh, what I really want is to be heard. Mm. What Mm. I really desire is to be seen. What I really desire is to be honored. And Mm. sometimes once I've named that desire, I recognize uh, that's not happening in my world. I'm not getting that in the context of my relationships. Oh, so I'm not seen, heard, honored. Mm, Okay, now I know where to go. Now I have an answer. Now I know what to do because in naming what I most deeply desire and recognize its absence, now I'm compelled toward change and growth. But if I don't actually get at what's missing, what I most deeply desire, then I'm praying for things that I think are going to fill the ache, mm. not actually. Mm. Lovely, lovely. So I think from this conversation, that 
I've had with you, what I'm taking away is the idea of looking inwards and honouring, honouring ourselves, listening deeply and honouring what we find, the truth that we find. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Rona. Thank you, Florence. Thank you. Okay, so your book is out, Rewriting Eve. Um, So, yeah, if anybody wants to um, get a copy, they can because it's out now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And you can sign up to Rona's um, Substack as well. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Privilege and pleasure. Thank you for listening to Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. I really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. You can connect with me on my Substack newsletter unfolding to follow my journey and to find out if you're interested how we can work together. And if you're interested in supporting the work, then please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash living from soul. My name is Florence Okusogu and I'll see you on the next episode of Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. Mm-hmm.